You may think I'm going to insult you here, but I'm, I'm going to start by asking you a question. <laughs> Are you a beggar? <laughs> Have you ever been a beggar? I realise in the first asking that question, you might be like, oh, you're asking me that. No, I've never been a beggar in my life. You might take offence to it. Well, I'm just setting you up because we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 10 this morning. But as we understand the term beggar, we think of somebody who's unable to work and really does throw themselves at the mercy of other people. Usually, we assume on a street corner or by a pavement or whatever. And really are they're dependent on the precarious given of other people. You know, you only have to take a walk down Union Street and you'll find somebody who fits the classic beggar model. There's no other means in a situation to gain or find some kind of regular income. But the term beg or begging is, is a broad term, isn't it? I mean, Jesus encountered lots of beggars, but not all of them were asking for money, depending on the circumstances or the situation. Some of them were begging for forgiveness. Some of them were begging for help in a, in a crisis moment. Jesus, please, I beg of you, please Come. So I'm hoping I'm broadening the understanding of that term. So you begin to begin to feel, well, maybe I've never sat in the street corner, but I I can see where you're going with this. And therefore, then I want to ask you, is who are you begging from or who have you begged from in the past? Maybe it was your boss. I don't remember being in that situation. (laughs) Maybe it was the job center. Maybe it's the doctor. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's even your parents. You see, because you're longing for something from them. Maybe you've never actually articulated it in those words or in that sense. But at times we all do hang our hopes, our aspirations on certain people at certain times. And likewise, if they deliver can be just as precarious sometimes as well. So I want us to think this morning or imagine ourselves not too similar, dissimilar rather, from the character we're going to be speaking about, Bartimaeus. I believe in some shape or form we've all been in the position of a beggar at some point. And I want to encourage you not to feel embarrassed about it. There's nothing to feel shameful about. Because remember, it's the broken. It's the disadvantaged. It's the poor. It's the poor in spirit. It's those who are at the end of their tether that are often on Jesus' radar, aren't they? So as we read this passage, as we come into this passage, remember, it's not a bad place to be. Particularly if you're sitting by the right roadside and you're begging the right person for the right thing as we'll discover through this passage this morning. So I want to encourage you in your imagination to take up your position on the roadside next to Bartimaeus and see what we can learn from Bartimaeus and learn what it means to become a follower of Jesus and even be a follower of Jesus as well. 
So with that, can I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10? And we're going to be reading from verses 46 to 52. Just before I start, the fans are lovely, but can you hear me over the sound of them? Yeah, yeah it's not a distraction. That's fine. Okay. Would you like to be my Bible monitor? Visiting Bible monitor this morning? So Mark chapter 10, reading verses 46 to verse 52. It will also come up on the screen as well. And it reads this. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Amen. Bartimaeus is, in a sense, the central character, just from the, the flow of the passage, is the central character in this story. Often it is Jesus, and yes, Jesus is, but it seems like the camera is more focused and given airtime to Bartimaeus. So in some sense, he is our role model this morning because I think there's four things in Bartimaeus that he can teach us this morning. And the first thing is he was honest, he was humble, he was hungry, and he was wholehearted. So can I encourage you to, in your imagination, imagine this poor guy (laughs) sitting by the roadside and I want you to take up your position next to him. I don't know how old he is. Was he a young man? Was he an old man? I don't know. But I can probably imagine that he probably did smell. (laughs) He was probably covered in dust. His personal hygiene probably wasn't very good unless somebody else was grooming him and looking after him. The only possession that he had was probably the cloak on his back. If any of you remember... If any of you were at the leadership conference in January, you remember John Wright came and he spoke about the, the cloak and the significance of the cloak in the Middle East. He actually had one that he bought himself in the Middle East. And it was paramount. It was a covering. And some, it went to some degree as an emblem of how wealthy you were. It was your dignity and sometimes it was even your bed. So if this poor guy had nothing else in life, at least he had a cloak. So he sits there on the roadside with his hands outstretched, listening for pilgrims on the road heading towards Jerusalem. Travelers, merchants, and he's sitting there listening with his hands outstretched, begging for alms, for money. He'll probably have his popular phrase, he'll have it down to a T 
This is what he says when he hears people coming by and he's hoping he's going to hear the jingle of coins and maybe some of them being tossed in his direction. This was his life. Blind from birth. He never had the same opportunity as everybody else. He was disadvantaged right from the very beginning. He wasn't born into a wealthy family. A pitied man. Perhaps to even some degree he was resented or viewed with some degree of suspicion. Why is he blind? Is it some sin he's committed? Or maybe even something that his parents did? Somebody did something, something wrong that caused this man to be blind. You see, this was a common prejudice in those days. He brought this either upon himself or somebody else did. Now, you might begin to feel a wee bit uncomfortable sitting next to this guy. He looks bad, he smells, and his life's a miserable existence. What has he and I got in common? I don't like the way that people are looking at him, and I'm feeling that they're looking at me the same, so I feel a bit tempted to side away from him and get up and leave. You know, there's a natural temptation in all of us not to be associated with Bartimaeus or his circumstances in life. Rarely do you ever see anybody sit down next to a beggar in Union Street. I've seen it happen, but it's a rare thing, isn't it? And I imagine it probably would have been the very same for Bartimaeus himself. But the thing is, he survives. He endures. He's kind of adapted to his situation in life. And this may be the first point of connection that we have with him. You know, we all find a groove or a pattern to life. You know, for some of us, we might be living a life and thinking, you know what, my life is absolutely fantastic and I wouldn't want to change a single bit of it. For some of us might think, well, yeah, there's good bits and there's down bits. My life is, yeah, it's okay. For some of us might find ourselves in a situation in life where it's just completely miserable. You might even feel envious of Bartimaeus sitting by the roadside. But the thing about Bartimaeus that I want us to get this morning, the first thing is that he knows full well what his problems are. And he's not afraid to put them out there. He's an honest man. He was honest with himself and he was honest with anyone else who would dare care to listen or take pity on him. And it's particularly with regards to the sense of self-examination of his circumstances. You know, we all have a a moment where we have a self-awareness or self-examination. Usually it comes prior to visiting the doctor. We have some awareness where we realize in ourselves that something just isn't right. And so we go to the doctor. But even then, when you're in the doctor's surgery, the doctor is the one who asks us the questions to help them identify what the issue is. (laughs) Bartimaeus is more than aware of what his situation is. And the thing is, he doesn't pretend not to be blind. He doesn't steal from others to mask that he's in poverty. I'm a poor man. I'm disadvantaged. My lot in life hasn't been great. But I'm doing what I can to make the most of it. Don't ask me to put on a front so as not to 
disturb the conscience of other people? Do you think he was loved by the merchants, by the travelers? You know, the, the rich and famous heading to Jericho to their holiday homes. Do you think they liked him? It's unlikely. They probably found him an eyesore. He probably pricked their conscience and a reminder that, you know, the world isn't perfect. You know, as a church, we want to be different. You know, we have a slogan that says, come as you are. You know, it's, it's, it's more than just a clever strap line. It's a genuine, honest invitation to be real, isn't it? If you've got an issue, don't dress it up. Bring it with you. Lay it on the table. This is my stuff. This has been my stuff for a long while. I want help. You know, I remembered, it was quite a few years ago, I was, it was quite significant eye troubles. It was due to diabetic complications. I'm a type 1 diabetic. And uh, my eyesight was severely affected because of it. It was to the point that actually it was quite awkward because I was a school teacher at the time and I found that I couldn't mark the kids' work. <laughs> I couldn't read it. I couldn't see it properly. Now, I could have bluffed my way through it. And we all do that sometimes for fear that we might be, you know, our position might be threatened or people might think less of us. But I embraced it. I got myself one of those A4 um, magnifying sheets. <laughs> And actually proved quite uh, helpful. But the thing was, I wasn't satisfied. What I did was that every Sunday, this is when we were all one site together at GP, I would go forward every Sunday with the same request, can you pray for my eyes? And it's okay to seem to do that once, isn't it? But I was determined. And so the second week, I went back again, hi, it's me again. <laughs> can you pray for my eyes? And especially if we're getting a bit uncomfortable, a bit awkward, and a bit, oh. I was feeling bad for the people who were waiting to pray for me. And I said, yeah, you know what it's going to be, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you pray for my eyes. But I did it. I kept going, and I kept going, and I kept going. And eventually it culminated in I did get uh, eye surgery, and my eyesight was restored. But the other little thing, this is a little blessing in it. I'd never been able to go forward from a driving lesson. This was before the diabetic eye troubles because I could never read the legal distance, you know, that you need to read. Oh, yeah, I can read the registration plate. I could never do that before. I don't think it was anything to do with eye surgery because that was regards to something else. But it was something else that I hadn't expected. And I, wow, this is wonderful, which then enabled me to go forward and let me drive. You know, I want us to be like Bartimaeus. I want to encourage you to become like Bartimaeus. Let's be honest about the stuff that we're dealing with. Honest with ourselves, but dare to be honest with one another. And therefore be in a better position to deal with it. And by God's grace, to be free of it. Yeah? In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is leading into, I've already preempted what I'm going to say, but the thing, what, other thing that I love about Bartimaeus was that he was a humble man. He depended on asking for help. That's what he did. He did it daily. 
You see how Bartimaeus sits there with his arms outstretched begging for arms? You know, when we come together as a church, whether it be on a Sunday morning, whether it's um, a small groups situation, come with a sense of outstretched hands. Expect something from God. But be expectant of one another as well. You know, before we can minister to other people outside of the church, we need to learn to minister and be willing to minister to one another at the drop of a heart to each other. Before we go and do it to the rest of the world, be ready, be willing, make it a practice to minister to one another. Look after one another. Love one another. You know, we don't talk about it that much because we're worried that people might get a misconception that we're some kind of cult, you know, heavy pastoring. But what I want to encourage you towards that we have an obligation of love towards one another. An obligation of love towards one another. To seriously look after one another to the point where it has, is inconvenient at times and it does call for sacrifice on our part. Because remember, what was Jesus' first qualification that they would know that we were his disciples? That we loved one another. To the point that the world would stop and say, we did that for you. Goodness, my mom wouldn't do that for me. <laughs> wow, you guys really do love one another. That's amazing. It's wonderful. You know, I had a real dad moment uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was sitting with the kids at the breakfast table. You know, as young kids, they did they occasionally squabble, don't they? They fall out with one another. They're back out, they argue about something. And I felt like a real dad when I said, hey, put your hands in the middle of the table. So I put the hands like, you know, the four musketeers kind of thing. Put your hand in the middle. And they all put their hand on top of one another. And I said, you know what? We're family. You know, we're quick to love. We're quick to apologize. We're quick to forgive. And we're quick to forget. And I got them to say it with me. You know, I, I want to do it here as well because, you know, we are family. We are family. Every single one of us is sitting here together. You might be sitting at the back, you might be sitting at the front, but we're all family. We're all joined by the blood of Christ. So I want you to repeat with me this morning. Will you do it? Yeah. Say with me, we are family. We're quick to love. We're quick to apologize. We're quick to forgive. And we're quick to forget the bad stuff. <laughs> no one another. <laughs> I think the kids got that. I don't need, I don't need, so I have to reiterate it. <laughs> but you know what? We want to build a culture in our church, don't we? Where we can all feel, be, feel free, free and safe to be vulnerable. Confident that we're loved. That no matter what the issue is, we can ask for help. And that we will respond to one another in times of need. And be careful not to stereotype ourselves as well, because, you know, often we think, ah, Frank, he's the strong one in the congregation. Always go to him. But he'll never have any issues. Sorry, Frank, for picking on you there. But what I want to say, you don't always imagine that the strong ones will always be the strong ones, or the weak ones will always be the weak ones. You know, the roles shift and change in the life. We're obliged to bear one another up. You know, a bunch of vagabonds helping one another along the road. That's where we are. Helping one another, encouraging one another, building one another up. 
a bit like the, the Good Samaritan. We stop, we act, we see, and we dress one another's wounds. You know, some people have this skewed idea about churches that you come into a sacred building, you sit quietly, don't want to be disturbed, then you exit. And that is some people's genuine idea of what church is. But can I say to you folks, it's never been Jesus' ideal. Whenever Jesus spoke about church, he spoke in terms of brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers being one in love. So don't be proud. It doesn't do us any favors in life. Let's be humble with one another. Ask for help and be a help to one another. You know, as I said before, yeah, it can be awkward at first, being open and honest with somebody, asking for help. But you know, as soon as you've got that out of the way, the joy of actually seeing somebody saying, yeah, I, I can help. It's wonderful. You know, Jesus said a curious thing, didn't he? That it was much more blessed to give than it was to receive. And we know that extends beyond just monetary giving. It's about giving our whole selves to one another. Has it ever occurred to you that when you refuse to ask for help, you're actually refusing somebody the opportunity to be as Christ to you? You know? You're robbing somebody an opportunity to serve Jesus. You know, I still carry poignant memories of times and occasions when I was able to give or to bless somebody in Jesus' name. So let's be humble enough with one another that we can be like that with one another. You know, the third thing I love about Bartimaeus was that he was hungry. And I don't mean physically hungry. I'm sure he probably was. But I mean, he had a hunger for something more. Now, it's easy in one sense. Yeah, of course he would be. He's got aspirations for a better life. Look at the state of him. But when you've lived a certain way of living for a long enough time, regardless of the circumstances that you're in, it could become familiarly safe. You know, we're all creatures of habit. We can all fall into a particular pattern of life. You know, years ago when I was training for the Church of Scotland, I had an opportunity to go and visit the Glasgow City Mission. And it operated a lifestyle ministry, a bit like the lifestyle ministry that we, we, we ran at the Gilt Park site in Aberdeen. And one of their things, the ideal was that the, the homeless guys and, and, and women was to get them into proper accommodation and off the streets. But in the, the lifetime of the Glasgow City Mission, they, they discovered that this was actually a more difficult thing than they ever imagined. Because when they get somebody into proper accommodation, you know, a nice uh, one-bedroom flat or whatever, only within a few days, let alone weeks, often many of the guys would leave and find their way back onto the streets. That seems ridiculous to us, doesn't it? But it's because that form of life was all they knew. It was safe to some degree, and it was familiar. And they preferred sleeping on the street to sleeping in a bed. You know, to varying degrees, we can all be the same. How much of the pattern of our own lives are we willing to be disturbed or changed by Jesus? You know, sometimes our circumstances have always been that way that, you know, to imagine or even comprehend life being any different is lost to us. You know, the poor man is ruled by poverty. The rich man is ruled by riches. 
I know the latter is much more attractive, but it's also much more difficult to escape. As Jesus said, it's easier for a rich, for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You see, regardless of our station or our circumstances in life, we all need a hunger for more. There is more to live than this life. And Jesus is the one who has the more. But it starts with an honest appreciation of our circumstances. A humbleness that will allow us to seek and ask. And a hunger for that fuller life that Jesus offers. What does it say in the passage? It says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said to him, and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. So throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. You know, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, it said he shouted. He shouted. When was the last time any of us shouted for Jesus? You know, to hear somebody shout indicates uh, an abandonment of civility, doesn't it? And politeness. It suggests a, a desperate need and a want for something to, immediate to happen there and then. And it's strange that it should come from this blind man. What, what does he know about Jesus? Well, certainly know he's never seen Jesus before. <laughs> he may have heard rumor about him. What does he know about him? random stories or tales, that something that he did in this place or that place. His, his knowledge is fragmentary. It's, it's in pieces. Yeah, he uses the, 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 the messianic time, the term, son of David. But does he even know what he's saying? Regardless of what, how much he knows or how much he little knows of Jesus, he knows one thing, that this man can change my life. He can change it. He can change my circumstances. He may well have been blind from birth. He may well have been accustomed to living by the roadside and making his living begging from other people. But he had an inkling. There's more to life than this. I want more than this. Much more. And that man, wherever he is, <laughs> I can hear his voice or I can hear the crowd I know he's the one that can deliver it. You know, we all need that kind of mm, of Bartimaeus in us. A resolve to get our hands on Jesus, or rather to, for Jesus to get his hands on us. You know, his tenacity, his single-mindedness to have an encounter with Jesus is certainly admirable, but it's more than that. It's something to be emulated, to be copied. You know, God is always the first mover in changing and transforming lives, but it often comes as an invitational moment. You know, across every site, we always have the ministry moment in our church, don't we? Have it at the end. And how many times have we held back? I know I have an occasion. But that could have been the, well be the moment where Jesus wanted to do something. And what was it that stopped us from going forward? Well, yeah, he's the guy that keeps going forward and asking for his eyes. I know what he's going to ask for. <laughs> Only we think, oh, they said a certain thing 
and people think, oh, he's got that thing, or she's got that thing, oh, no, yeah. Nobody's interested. We just want to bless one another. We want to see Jesus do something wonderful in one another's lives. We're one for all and all for one, aren't we? <laughs> Can I encourage you to get a holy hunger in your bellies for Jesus? Don't plateau and say, well, I, you know, I'm quite happy with the amount of Jesus I've got in my life. If you're saying that, you don't, certainly don't have enough. <laughs> Folks, there is so much more, much more. And don't dare to miss out on the opportunity of a lifetime. You know, I remember a, a funny incident. It was when I was a kid. Does anybody remember the, the, great, British, the great Modern Homes st- exhibition? We used to tour the country. Yeah, well, we used to go when we were kids every year. It all happened once a year in the SEC in Glasgow. And uh, I remember it distinctly because that was like the first generation of the soda stream. It was on display. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We got one. We got one at the, the Great British Hotel exhibition. But anyway, I remember because uh, we were walking past all these stalls, and there was a guy who was selling like uh, linen and towels and stuff like that. Like, I'm not interested in that. We were all walking on, but my sister had stopped, and she'd heard something that the guy was saying, and we were all moving on, and she stopped and she was shouting, "Mom, Mom, he, he's giving away free towels." You know, I'd never seen my mum run in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never seen her run until that moment. And she literally ran. <laughs> and obviously there was a crowd of people gathering around this stall where this guy was uh, selling tells, whatever. And she, she, yeah, fear. She was pushing and barging her way through so she'd get to the front to get a free tell. She didn't get a free tell, but the thing was, the guy didn't say it wasn't bath tells he was throwing, it was face cloths. <laughs> she felt a bit kind of cheated. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, we can get so undignified for the slightest thing, can't we? You know, run for a face cloth. Goodness me, come on. How much more should we be running towards Jesus and pursuing him, chasing after him? You know, in April, it was the time of the London Marathon. I remember hearing this story in the news. There was this homeless man. I can't remember what his name was. But he was a chancer. He, he saw an opportunity and he took it. One of the numbers had fallen off one of the runners in the race. And he saw it. Apparently this guy was well known, certainly in the Heathrow region, and he was known as a jogging tramp. He picked up the number and stuck it on his shirt. <laughs> and he ran, he ran the last 14 miles of a marathon. And it was a wonderful crossing of the line. He had champagne and everything. I feel a bit sorry for him because, you know, it wasn't in the rules. And so his medal was taken from him and he was disqualified. And I thought, oh, that's a shame. 14 miles. Goodness, deserves a medal for that at least. But, you know, <laughs> I love the guy just because he was in it to win it. He saw an opportunity and he just went for it, didn't he? And this is leading to our last point. Certainly regarding Bartimaeus, he was wholehearted. Like the marathon man, he was all in. Let me remind you what the passage said. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, came to Jesus. 
What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. You know, Bartimaeus, he literally did put all his eggs in one basket. He was totally sold out on Jesus. And that's why I suspect that he's even named in this passage. You know, as you go through the gospel, not many of the people that Jesus encounters are named. But he's named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. I think it's because possibly he became part, he became a follower of Jesus through and through. He joined this band of disciples. He was either somewhere in the mix of it all, this crowd of people who are perpetually following Jesus from then on. He became a part of Jesus' family, a follower of the way, a follower of Jesus. Do you remember his precious cloak? What did it say in the passage? What did he do with it? He threw it aside. He threw it aside without any thought. That precious cloak. Folks, I need to ask you this morning, is there anything that you're holding on to that's causing you to procrastinate or uh, kind of half-heartedly approach Jesus because you've always got your eye on what's, what's a better deal here? <laughs> is it the opinions of others? Is it the fear of what others might think? Or is it even the fear, I don't know if Jesus will deliver. He will. He will. In ways that we might not even expect. Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? A straightforward question. He didn't speak in riddles or rhymes. What can I do for you? And Bartimaeus told him. Sometimes it's very easy to allegorize and complicate things at times. Just tell Jesus, what's on your heart? What is the desires of your heart? What is it you want to ask of him? He may even surprise you and may even give you the things that you're wanting. And I imagine the things will be many and varied in this room. But what does Scripture keep telling us? To know the plans that he has for you is to bless you. To bless you. Maybe it's healing this morning. Maybe you've got a, a condition. I say, Jesus, please, can you, will you? Can I dare you to ask him this morning? Just ask him. Come forward and let us pray with you. Maybe it's something else. It seems, I don't know, it's a relational thing or whatever, and it's so many factors that oh, I can't even get my head around it. You know, he can do things in a way that we can't. He can resolve situations in a way that we can't. And that's why we need to take up the pose as a beggar and say, Jesus, I'm at the end of myself. I know I can't do it. And I'm asking you, would you please do it? Dare to take him at his word. Dare to trust him. Can we do that? So let's take up our positions like Bartimaeus. Let's be honest with them. Let's be honest with one another. Let's be humble with them. Let's be humble with one another and ask for help. And let's be hungry for more. 
There is so much more. Remember, he's infinite. His resources don't deplete or run out. You know, to the point where we can say like Paul, it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Give ourselves to him wholeheartedly and be expectant for something amazing. Let's be the blessed beggar. Let's stand.